Hello and welcome everyone to KSQD Santa Cruz at 90.7 FM. I'm Jacob Sheckman and you're listening to our show, What To Be, where we interview inspiring people and highlight their careers. What To Be is a program provided by Your Future Is Our Business, a Santa Cruz County nonprofit dedicated to helping students explore careers through programs such as college and career expos, career panels, and other work-based learning activities. Please note the views and opinions expressed in this program do not necessarily represent or reflect those of Natural Bridges Media or Your Futures Our Business. The information provided during this program does not reflect this career in its entirety. And finally, I'd like to introduce our guest. Today we are joined by Dr. George Leonard. Thank you so much for being here today, George. Great to be here, Jacob. And George is here to talk to us today about his career as the chief scientist at the Ocean Conservancy. What an exciting title, man. All right, so can you tell us... Yeah, it, it sounds great. Can you tell us what the Ocean Conservancy is and what is your role as the chief scientist? Sure. So Ocean Conservancy, as the name implies, is a nonprofit organization that works to conserve the ocean um, to basically make sure that the oceans stay healthy. I am the chief scientist, which means I provide sort of scientific input and advice across our organization. We've got about 120 people on the staff. Half of them are in Washington, D.C., uh, near Capitol Hill. Uh, and then the other half are distributed around the country. We have a small office here in Santa Cruz um, and people in many other parts of the country where fisheries and oceans are important. The Gulf of Mexico, the Pacific Northwest, uh, and New England, where I grew up. Um, so basically what we do is we bring scientific information to bear to convince policymakers, decision makers, others that can sort of control how the ocean is used to make smart decisions and to base those decisions on science. All right. And so how about, how about you? What, what is your, when you show up to work, what is, what is on your mind in a, in a normal non-coronavirus way? What, what is yeah, it like? In the corona world, I spend a lot of time on the computer like this doing Zoom calls. Yeah. So my, my day is, a, it's, a, it's a pretty nine to five-ish job. So I'm mostly doing what we call policy work. Sometimes I wear a coat and tie when I go to work. Uh, when I was in graduate school, which was a critical part of getting here, I used to do a lot of field work. So I did a lot of scuba diving in the California kelp forests. I've been to some remote areas of the world on various ships and, and studied marine science and did experiments, uh, you know, kind of hands-on experiments. Um, I made a transition about 20 years ago to work on this interface between scientific information over here and how people make decisions on the other side. And uh, so most of my day is I, I work with a team of scientists. So I, I manage those people and the work that what they do, uh, which is kind of analyzing information, producing syntheses, evaluating what's happening in the real world. I spend a fair amount of time every morning tracking down what's happened overnight um, in terms of policy or developments. Obviously, with the coronavirus, it's a, it's a busy morning for sure. Yeah. And then sometimes, you know, before before we were all hunkered down, I used to do a fair amount of traveling. So we would uh, I would often go to the main office in D.C. Uh, sometimes we lobby our elected officials uh, like Mark Stone, who's our elected official here in Santa Cruz up in Sacramento. And then uh, and I have been doing a lot of work recently with external scientists where we'll do some collaborative work with uh, colleagues um, in England. Uh, in the UK, uh, in Australia, we have a team we're working with, uh, and a number of uh, US-based scientists as well. So by external scientists, just to clarify, you're talking about scientists that are not not part of Ocean Conservancy. They could be right. anywhere, and you're teaming up with them. 
Yeah, that's right. So when I was in graduate school, um, I was pursuing sort of an academic track, right? Where you go and you get a, usually you get a PhD, which is, you know, four to five to six years after you get your undergraduate degree. So I know a lot of the students are in the eighth grade now. So you haven't even started high school yet. But you got to get through four years of high school, then four years of college, and then the graduate program. So if you really like science and you really like studying, um, this is a great field for you. But at the time, that was really geared toward being an independent scientist, where you would do sort of your own work um, within an academic institution. Now I'm working in the policy space um, on the science side, but it's in a different context. But one of the things we like to do is we do a lot of collaborative work with, with those kinds of scientists that work at places like UC Santa Cruz um, or Cal State Monterey Bay, if you're thinking about local organizations or local institutions. Um, and so we will we will do work with them that ends up then um, oftentimes getting published in the scientific literature. And, and we we all sort of end up on the byline together. So you, as you're you're talking, you're, you're bring, it sounds like you're bringing in all of these different fields. You have policy, you have science, you're having to get your hands dirty out in the field. Can you talk a little bit about your background, your education? How did you how did you build all of the appropriate skill sets that allow you to do this job? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, one of the things I really like about this job is it's kind of one part science, which is where I started, and then one part policy, which is basically how are decisions and regulations about how we use the ocean done. It's one part communications, that is the ability to talk to people, whether they're eighth grade students or the media or others about these issues. And then the fourth piece of it is kind of working with the private sector. So we do a lot of work where we try to convince individual businesses to make better decisions on behalf of ocean health. And all of those things other than the science piece, I kind of learned on the job. So remember I said I went to graduate school and then I decided I, I was, you know, I didn't want to pursue the, the assistant professor job, which is the first job you essentially get out of graduate school and wanted to do this different thing. But in graduate school, I hadn't been taught any of those things. Yeah. I didn't know anything about communication. I didn't know anything about the private sector. Uh, I didn't know anything about the NGO or the policy world. I just knew a lot about barnacles and seaweeds and mussels and clams and stuff like that. Um, so that, you know, I, I've been doing this for about 20 years or so, and I built all of that um, through a series of positions. Uh, when, I, when I left academia, I was down at Stanford at the Hopkins Marine Station down in Monterey, and, and I joined the Monterey Bay Aquarium. And I was at the Monterey Bay Aquarium for about seven years. Um, and then I came over to Ocean Conservancy about 13 years ago now. How long you said you were at um, Monterey Aquarium for seven years? Seven years. And what? And I worked on two programs. Your students may have heard of them. First was a thing called Compass, which was um, started by my mentor, Jane Lubchenco, who's a professor at Oregon State University. And it was really designed to get academic scientists to figure out how to talk with and communicate and engage in the outside world. Mm -hmm. And that really resonated with me. Um, so I joined them as one of their first staff members. But then I spent about five years developing the Seafood Watch program. And so that's the they, the Monterey Bay Aquarium still does this work where they put out these little uh, these little cards with red, yellow and green recommendations on seafood you can buy. Um, and so that was really where I cut my teeth in terms of working with the private sector and the seafood industry on on sustainability recommendations. So let's come back to your, your position at the Ocean Conservancy. Yep. What, what's the that working environment like for you? I, and again, I can see that there are several different environments you'll find yourself in. But a, let's talk about, I guess, interacting with the, when you have a team of people 
and you're trying to conduct some research to figure out, I, I guess, what what sorts of policies to develop, if I'm understanding correctly. I, yep. I'm curious, what when what are those interactions like? What sort of environment do you put yourself in when you're trying to get this work done? Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. I mean, one of the things that's you know different between academia and and the kinds of work I'm doing now is that the way I sort of describe this is in academia, you kind of wake up every day thinking, how am I going to be brilliant today? Oh, I'm going much- to put a time out here. Let's roll this back. Can you talk about, uh, describe first the difference between academia and and industry or, or the different stuff, just to just to help give them an idea of what yeah, that so, is? So remember, right? So if you're really interested in, in math and science and you like studying and doing experiments, you can go on and get a graduate degree and that can lead you into basically becoming like a university professor. Yeah. Okay. And so think about, think about Harvard, Yale, Princeton, all the names you've heard, but UC Santa Cruz, Cal State Monterey Bay, et cetera. Right. So that's academia. That's academia. Okay. So the professors that are teaching there, the, the, uh, you know, there are some exceptions to this, but, but it's really largely about you as an individual and your ideas and your research and 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 you operate kind of as a as as a single entity. What I really like is working in teams. I like working with a diversity of people, and that's exactly in this uh, conservation and nonprofit world what happens. So I get to work with a whole range of different people at Ocean Conservancy. We have scientists like myself, but we also have lawyers, and we also have communication experts, and we also have you know accountants. And, uh, and, um, and a whole variety of different people. And the fun part of my job is it's not just a group of scientists, it's a group of, of different people that bring different perspectives and different skill sets to the table. And my challenge, my real, my real goal is to figure out how to get those teams to work together to solve problems. And that's a very different thing than you know, being at a university in academia where you're often working as a sole person trying to figure out a particular research problem you want to work on. Okay. Thank you. That, that does give an idea of what types of environments those are like. And what do you think your favorite project that you've worked on or maybe that you're currently working on is? Well, it's a good, good segue there from, from the team thing. So a number of years ago, we stood up and uh, ran a scientific working group down at the University of California in Santa Barbara. Um, and it was a very similar kind of process as I was just describing. We brought together, uh, in this case, a variety of scientists, industry members, and, and sort of business consultants from around the world. And we brought them around a big table together. And we wanted to challenge them to think about and do some new science around the problem of plastics in the ocean. So many of your students have probably heard that plastic in the ocean is a big problem. About six or seven or eight years ago, it really wasn't clear that it was a big problem. And so we hosted a bunch of scientists to basically try to figure out if it was. And that was about a three-year process. And I worked, I worked really to build this community of people that didn't know each other to work together to solve these problems. And in fact, one of the reasons you hear a lot about plastics in the ocean now is because all of all that science that was published, um, it helped change how we as individuals and um, elected officials and policymakers, how we think about this problem. Um, and so that was you know, one of sort of my highlights, right? Because it allowed me to generate a bunch of new knowledge that wasn't just interesting to a few scientists, but actually has fundamentally changed the way the world thinks about this problem. 
For those who are just tuning in, you're listening to What to Be at KSQD 90.7 FM. I'm Jacob Sheckman, and today we're speaking with Dr. George Leonard and learning about his career journey to becoming the chief scientist at the Ocean Conservancy. Now, what kind of person do you think would enjoy doing this kind of job? What, what do you think are, are some traits about you that are pretty common in people who hold similar roles? Well, I think there's a couple of things. So remember, I'm working on ocean conservation. Um, so this is in the environmental field. Um, there are similar people to me that work on land conservation, for example. Um, but I think everybody sort of shares a couple of traits. The first of which is you have to care about the environment. So if you you know love animals, love nature, love the ocean, um, that's where a lot of the motivation for pretty much everybody that works at Ocean Conservancy comes from. At the same time, um, I think I think you have to be focused. You have to be interested not just in identifying problems because we know there's a lot of environmental problems out there, um, but you have to be focused on trying to identify and advance solutions to those problems. So if you're really a solutions-oriented problem and you want to get a person and you want to get stuff done, um, this field is a is a great a great field to be in. It's not easy work, though, as you can, you know, as is pretty obvious under the current uh, president, right? A lot of environmental regulations have been rolled back. And so just when you feel like you've made progress and you've kind of improved the world, a lot of this stuff can be unrolled. Um, so it does require you have to have a, you know, a strong stomach and you got to be willing to persevere um, because it's not always easy work. Yeah. All right, folks, we're going to start transitioning into some of your questions. I see some people have sent some in, so awesome. Thank you. If you guys already sent some in, don't be shy to send in more. If you haven't, start doing it now. I'm getting them, and I'll try and get to as many as I can. So first up, I think, is pretty simple. And What would you say is maybe the most challenging part of your job? The most challenging part of my job, I will tell you that I think the, the most challenging part right now um, and this is in this pandemic and in the coronavirus, is figuring out how we as an institution and how the group of people that I work with can stay together as a team when none of us are together, right? It's really hard. I know that's true probably for Ms. Siegel's class. Everybody's on the screen. They're all supposed to be part of a class. Um, and yet everybody's at home. And, and the challenges I think the students are feeling are exactly what we're feeling. And, um, you know, that's that's less about the work and it's more about the social dynamics. It's more about maintaining connections with staff, connecting with people personally. Um, you know, whether you're in a class or whether you're in an organization like like I am, you know, it's not just the smartest, brightest people that get thrown together that do the best work. Effective teams, as I have figured out, um, at the heart of that, people need to essentially like each other and care for each other and have some shared understanding of each other and that's really hard to do um in you know during the pandemic and and uh so that's my biggest challenge right now yeah sure i i, I get that i'm a very sociable person and social distancing is difficult but it, it's important we're all be able to do this sort of thing and help each other keep learning so what another person asked uh what advice would you give to someone who's considering a job in this field well a couple of things so if, if you want to go, so like we're starting with where I am, right? So, so I've been working in this kind of role for almost 20 years. Uh, so if you want to get there, you have to, you have to go get graduate education, right? So you probably have to do at least a master's, which is a couple of years after an undergraduate degree. 
or a PhD, which as I said, could be anywhere from four to even seven years after, uh, after your undergraduate degree. So you really need to like school um, and you need to like, you need to like learning. Um, and you have to, you have to genuinely enjoy that journey. Um, and that's a critical part um, uh, of, of working in this kind of um, line of work. The other thing that's I think really important is, and and I and I suspect this is a you know, this is an issue that that younger students like on the phone here, I mean on the on the on the Zoom call is um, you need you need to learn how to communicate and you need to learn how to write effectively. It's amazing how many people I come across, and no offense to all you guys, um, younger younger folks who really can't write very well, and you really stand out if you can learn how to communicate effectively. And, and get your point across. And so uh, even if you're into math and science, which is what I was into, right? I was into physics and chemistry and biology and, and math. Even if you're a science person, you need to learn to write and communicate. And that's why English classes and history classes and language classes are so important. Um, so make sure you spend as much time on the non-science classes as you do on the science classes. Yeah, absolutely. I can very much attest to that. I, I was telling George earlier, I went into chemistry myself. And part of me in high school thought, oh, it's it's physics, it's science, there's not a lot of writing. But then you get to it. And how do you talk about any of those ideas if you can't communicate them? So it's very, very, very important. Now, uh, uh, very, another good question from another student here. Was this a career that you wanted from childhood? Was it different? And do you think this job has improved in popularity over recent years? Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I was, uh, so I'm living in Santa Cruz now. I grew up in Massachusetts on the East Coast. And I was always a math and science kid, as I said. And I was always an ocean kid. I grew up in a coastal, uh, coastal community, spent a lot of time on the water, driving boats and sailing boats and, and swimming and scuba diving and stuff. So I, I, and I also, I'm old enough, you can tell, I don't have much hair left. Uh, but I grew up in the 70s uh, when Jacques Cousteau was a really big deal. And if any of the students uh, on this do not know who Jacques Cousteau is, uh, type him into Google. He really was the foundation of marine biology for a lot of us who are, you know, I'm 55 now. And, and he really brought the undersea world to all of us through TV at the time. That was really the only, the only medium. So I always knew I was interested in oceans, but when I got out of undergrad, I wasn't sure what I really wanted to do. And my dad was a businessman. So I thought, well, I could try to do that. And so I ended up uh, working in Boston in, in a financial organization. And uh, one day woke up and said, you know what? I, I really want to go back and study ocean science. And so I applied to graduate school. And there's a very long, complicated story that starts there. But I ended up in graduate school and, and kind of have stayed on this ever since. I, I really feel blessed. Both academic jobs, um, ocean policy jobs, they are not easy to come by. Uh, it's not necessarily a growth industry, but there's uh, probably more need than there is opportunity in the sense that the environmental th threats continue to grow. And I am hopeful that when we get to the other side of this uh, corona pandemic, um, that those opportunities will will grow for younger for younger students. My my two kids are just getting out of college now, and um, I'm hoping that the world improves for them as well. In in this line of work also, are there, as opportunity ideally continues to grow, are there any kind of entry-level jobs that students can find early on to help get their foot in the door? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, if you're in high school and you can volunteer at your local aquarium, 
um, or any of the other kinds of organizations that are out there. For example, in Santa Cruz here, Save Our Shores is a local uh, NGO. I used to be on their board of directors and, and um, you know, you can help them out during their beach cleanup work. So I think there's a lot of things you can do kind of on a volunteer basis when you're in high school. When you get to college, uh, increasingly there are research opportunities for undergraduates. In many cases, those are now paid in a way that they weren't when I was a student. Um, so getting your foot in the door and doing some on the ground research with a professor is a really, really important thing to do. It can open up all kinds of doors. Um, and then, for example, um, when you uh, when you either get out of uh, either during uh, during summers uh, or when you get out of undergrad, um, a lot of organizations like ours and Environmental Defense Fund and WWF and Conservation International have various internship programs where people mm -hmm. can work over the summer or even maybe for a whole year. And, and now those are also generally being uh, being paid as well. So there are opportunities like that all along the way that can help you kind of get your foot in the door for lots of these organizations. I, I want to go back to something when we talked about uh, how important communication was. How how did you grow that strength or that skill in in being able to communicate and write effectively? Hmm. Well, I think well, there are two, th two things for me. On the speaking front, as I mentioned before we went on the air, I... Uh, when I was in college, I was a DJ for the, I had a radio program from one o'clock in the morning till three o'clock in the morning. Oh my gosh. <laughs> in Middlebury, Vermont, the graveyard shift. And so just like you're doing now in front of the microphone, uh, Jacob, uh, you know, I would spin records in the eighties and, and, uh, and act as a DJ. And I realized I liked it. I realized I could, you know, I had a pretty good radio voice uh, and it kind of came naturally to me. So, you know, I, I was always, some people are really, petrified in speaking in public or doing these kinds of things. I never really was. Um, so it, it, it sort of came naturally to me. And, and when I had opportunities to, you know, do broadcast media or print media over the last uh, 20 years or so, I would jump at them at, at every opportunity. And I just kind of built that skill. I also took a number of communication training exercises. Um, there are very, various companies that teach people how to talk to the media and make sure you're looking at the camera and things like that. So there's a variety of resources there. I will say on the writing front, uh, my wife is a is a writer and an editor, and during graduate school, she would review and redline my work, and she did it over and over and over again until I finally, you know, became a better writer. So, if people want to learn to write, you you need help. You need help from you know Miss Eagle. You need help from a from a uh, from an English teacher, or you need help from you know your mom, your dad, your friend, or, or in my case, my spouse. That makes a huge difference. Was there, was there anyone along your, your career path that was particularly inspirational or motivational or, or maybe someone you still can, can reach to that played a role in helping your growth? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the other thing you were asking about what people can do, one of the things I think is really useful to remember is you should stay in contact with and connected with people who can help you, people who can give you a job, frankly, or recommend you for a job or graduate school or something else. Um, and in my case, <clears throat> when I was at Hopkins Marine Station, as I was mentioning earlier, um, a guy named Chris Harold, who was the director of conservation research at the Monterey Bay Aquarium, had been on my thesis committee when I was at Moss Landing Marine Labs, um, right down the coast here. And he was a runner and I was a runner. And so we would run together at lunchtime sometimes, a couple of times a week. And this was right at the time that I was thinking about moving into the policy space 
And so he and I started talking about this on a run one day. And uh, he was a bit of a mentor, sounding board for me, helped me think this through and figure it all out. And he came to me one day and he said, you know, we're starting this new program at the aquarium and I think you'd be a great fit. Do you want to apply? And I said, sure. So I did. And I got the job. And I don't think that would have happened if I hadn't stayed in contact with him, if I hadn't run with him on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and if I hadn't, you know, kind of used him as a sounding board to give me some advice. So don't, don't discount, like, you know, kids are going to move on from Miss Siegel. Um, but remember, she can help you along the way, right? She knows you better than, than most, I suspect. Yeah, absolutely. Keep, keep in touch. Show up. Now, uh, showing up's a big one. Oh, yeah. Showing yeah. up's a big one, right? Half of life is showing up. And so if you don't put yourself out there, uh, um, you, you know, you, you, you can't win if you don't run the race. Man, awesome. Now, uh, all right, folks, we're getting into our last few minutes here. Maybe a couple more minutes left to ask any questions that you may have. Uh, well, my last question for you is it, to send off almost uh, what advice or resources would you want to give to our students and listeners who? would be interested in pursuing a, a, a career in science in general and maybe something specific to uh, ocean science? Yeah, maybe a couple of things. So, um, you know, if people are interested in science, I would say seek out your science teacher. I can tell you that your science teacher, who I don't know who it is, he or she, would be thrilled if somebody came in and said, I want to talk to you about science. I want to talk to you about how you got to be a science teacher. I want to talk to you about how you got where you could go or where I could go, right? Something other than your homework assignment, they would be thrilled. So seek out that, that, that science teacher and, and buy them a cup of coffee and sit down and talk about it. Um, that'd be one, one recommendation. The other would be, you know, we have the world at our fingertips now through the computer in a way that when I was younger, um, we really didn't. And so pretty much everything you could ever learn is out there. So go explore, uh, you know, just type in some keywords into Google um, and explore some of these issues, whatever you're interested in. You might be interested in whales. You might be interested in mountain lions, right? You might be interested in the coronavirus. Um, so go, go explore. And in particular, there are a couple of places that are great resources for information on ocean. So I would be remiss if I didn't say come to the Ocean Conservancy, <laughs> website, right, which is oceanconservancy.org. We have a whole host of information on a variety of the big threats to ocean health, like climate change, overfishing, plastic pollution. Um, the other places are a lot are aquariums, places like the Monterey Bay Aquarium, the New England Aquarium, where I grew up, the Shedd Aquarium um, in, in uh, Chicago. Um, the Seattle Aquarium, they all have tremendous resources, not only on sort of basic ocean biology, um, but also what a lot of people are doing around identifying problems and advancing solutions. So I would say start there um, and, and, uh, and, uh, and you'll be in great shape. Excellent. We're out of time. We're out of questions, but I think this is a wonderful talk today. Thank you so much, Dr. George Leonard, for being here. Happy to do it, Jacob. All right, and thank you, Ms. Siegel's class, and thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's career story. I'm Jacob Sheckman, and you're listening to our show, What to Be, with today's guest, Dr. George Leonard, the chief scientist at the Ocean Conservancy. If you have any questions or would like to share your career story with us, send us an email at whattoberadio at gmail.com. If you enjoyed our show, please join us again at 90.7 FM, 
K-Squid Santa Cruz at 7pm on Sundays, or stream online at ksqd.org. Or, if you'd like to listen on Spotify, iTunes, or Google, visit yfiob.org for more ways to listen. Thank you, and see you next time.